Today is the second Sunday of Advent. And today we are going to talk about the promise of a new creation. Remember, Advent is the season that we celebrate the coming of Jesus. The promise of Christ's coming was first indicated in Scripture in Genesis 3.15. This is where we started. And God foretold the promised seed that would one day come and crush the head of the serpent. That promised seed is Christ. It's Christ Jesus the Lord. Christ has come. We're not waiting for him to come. He's already come. Now, he's going to come again, but he's already come. And he has already conquered And he is today and will be eternally the Lord of all. Today, we're going to look at God's choice of Abram, or as we commonly know him, Abraham, to bring forth the seed of promise and what that means for us today in Christ. Our text today, I'm going to read two texts to you, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and then I'm going to read Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, Matthew begins with the genealogy of Jesus Christ. So Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Matthew 1.1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we ask that you would today, as we look into your word, that you would open our hearts and open our minds that you would remind us in our impatience that you are a God who keeps your word. You are a God who makes promises and those promises do not fail. In fact, Lord Jesus said, heaven and earth may fail, will pass away, but his word will never fail. We thank you for the undying, never failing word of God. And as we look into it today, we ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit, cause that word to come alive on the inside of us. May it give us eyes to see and ears to hear. May it change and transform us into a people, a glorious people of light that would give a bright witness to you in the darkness of this world, that you would be glorified through your church. Father, we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. In the uh, introduction to the book of Genesis in my Bible, it says this, Abram's call is the divine antidote to Adam's fall. So in the book of Genesis in 3.15, in in chapter 3 verse 15, we looked at God's promise of this coming seed that would crush the head of the serpent. This was immediately following 
the creation and man is in the garden and the serpent comes and deceives man. And God speaks, he prophesies, he foretells of the seed that would come. And then just 12 chapters into Genesis, we're introduced to this man who is called Abram when we meet him in Scripture. But later, God changes his name from Abram to Abraham. Some 2,000 years after creation, after the fall of man, God chose Abraham to be the one through whom the seed would come. Thus, Matthew calls Jesus not only the son of David, but the son of Abraham. That was important to the Jews because Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation. And no Messiah could come and be the rightful Messiah who was not a descendant of Abraham. But for us, it's important to understand that Jesus is not just the Son of God. He's not just the Son of David, but the Scripture calls Him the Son of Abraham. And God, in His grace alone, chose Abraham to bring forth that promised seed. God, by His grace alone, chooses us to have life to trust in, to believe in, and to so have life in that same promised seed who is Christ. Today, in our second Sunday of Advent, we're going to talk about a new creation that may sound like kind of a strange topic for Advent. But it's really not, because the coming of Christ literally ushered in a new creation. I have, um, I have what's called the stone edition of the Torah. It's a, it, it's, a, it's a Torah. It's the first five books of the Bible with commentary, with the rabbinic commentary. And in the rabbinic commentary, there is much history of the Jews. And you have to kind of take it with a grain of salt because you don't know how much of that history is real. Um, the only thing that we can put our faith and our trust in is what actually is in the canon of Scripture. But it's interesting to me that in the stone edition of the Torah, it is said that the rabbinic writings, and they do, refer to God's call to Abram to leave his country, to leave his family, and to leave his father's house as a new creation. That's the way the Jews described it. It was a new creation or a new birth for mankind. For the first 2,000 years, it was called the era of desolation. It was the fall of Adam in the garden. It was the deluge that destroyed the earth. And then 2,000 years after the creation comes Abram. And this was a new creation. It was the beginning of a new humanity. I find that very interesting that that is the way the Jews saw Abram's, in particular, Abram's call out of his homeland, away from his family, and out of his father's house. This new birth for mankind. And this is no doubt true 
But what we're going to look at today is that is true and that is actually fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And the Bible bears this out, which is why it is significant that Jesus is called the son of Abraham, not just because it makes him the rightful Messiah. But it tells us about something that God did when God called Abram to be the one that would bring forth this promised seed. And when God called Abraham to leave his country and his father's house, God was setting in motion events that would have an eternal impact on the world. And God says in those verses we just read that all the families of the earth would be blessed as a result. God would ultimately bring the head-crushing Savior into the world through the man God would later call Abraham. It may not seem significant or uncommon in our modern times for a man to leave his country, his family, and his father's house. We're living in a day and age where literally in our nation there is mass migration taking place. You may not, you may not be aware of this, but it's happening. Populations are migrating from certain areas to other areas. This is happening all over the world. It's why we have what we call a border crisis. I just read an article yesterday that there are 100,000 Haitian refugees massed at the border of Mexico and Guatemala. And what we're seeing taking place across the globe is a mass migration of population. In Abraham's day, for a man to leave his home, his family, and his father's house may not sound uncommon to us today, but it was not common in Abraham's day. In Abraham's day, that was a very significant and not a very common thing at all. And this is one of the reasons the Jews consider this event so historically and spiritually significant, and we should also, which is why the Scripture records it for us, and why the Scripture gives us commentary on what the significance of that actually was, not just for Abraham, not just for the Messiah, but for us today. Abraham was not just seeking a new home. God was bringing about a new creation, God was calling Abraham away because God was going to bring about a new birth for mankind, figuratively and literally. This was indeed about more than a new beginning for Abraham. It was about a new creation. This new creation would ultimately come through God's promised seed, Jesus Christ. This new creation would result in a radical departure That's what Abraham's journey was. It was a radical departure from the norm. And this new creation that that I am talking about, that the Scripture teaches us about, is a radical departure from this world system. And it is a radical transformation through death and resurrection for all who are brought out of the old and into the new. This new creation, or this new mankind, foreshadowed in Abraham, is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And that fulfillment 
became visible and real and tangible when Jesus came in his incarnation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5.17, speaking of a new creation, Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That was written some 2,000 years ago. And Paul is using language that tells us that this is already done. We're not waiting for a new creation. The new creation has already come. If you are in Christ, the Bible says you are a new creation. If you are in Christ, the Bible says not the old things will one day pass away when we get to heaven. The Bible says if you are in Christ, you are a new creation and the old has, past tense, it has passed away. And now, presently, and continuously, all things have become new. The very next verse, verse 18, says now all things are of God. We're not waiting for all things to become of God. They already are all of God. The new creation has come. It was ushered in with the incarnation of Jesus. Galatians 6, 14 and 15. But God forbid, Paul writes, that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. This is the radical departure we are called to embark on, to be radically changed and transformed, to be radically separated from the world, to be radically transformed in Jesus Christ as a new creation. Paul goes on and he, in verse 15, he says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. What avails? What is the difference? What is the most important thing? What is it? It's not circumcision. It's not uncircumcision. It is a new creation. In Christ, we are made new creations. We become children of Abraham by faith. Galatians 3, 7, Paul writes, Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Galatians 3, 29, And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That was not just true for the Galatians Paul was writing through. That is true for us today. If you are in Christ, if you belong to Christ, if you're trusting in Christ, the scripture says you are children of Abraham. You are the seed of Abraham and heirs according to the promise. The promise of a new creation belongs to the children of Abraham. The children of Abraham are those who belong to Christ by grace through faith. It is not the children of the flesh. It is not the children after the flesh. It is the children of the promise. The children born again of the Spirit. Born again and made a new creation in Christ. In Romans 9, 6-8, Paul writes these words, But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect. For they are not all Israel who are Israel, nor are they all children, that is, children of Abraham, because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac, 
your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. This is why Ishmael, a son of Abraham, was not the child of promise. He was not counted as the seed. But in Isaac, your seed shall be called. The true children of Abraham are not those born of the flesh, but those who are born of the Spirit. The true children of Abraham are those who belong to Christ by grace through faith. These, to these belong the promises fulfilled in Christ. Promises given to Abraham, but fulfilled in Christ. And God says to Abraham, I will make you a great nation and a great blessing. So we have a new creation. We have a great nation. And we have great blessing. Let me read verses 2 and 3 of Genesis 12. God says to Abram, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God promised to make Abraham a great nation. We already talked with the children what that meant. You can't have a great nation without people. And God is making this promise to a 75-year-old old man who is childless. God promised to make Abraham a great nation when Abraham was 75 years old and without a child. Not only that, but it would be another 25 years before Abraham and Sarah would see the fulfillment of God's promise in their son Isaac. Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. And God said to him 25 years earlier, I will make a great nation of you. Listen to the writer of Hebrews describe the faith of Abraham and Sarah. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 12. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And you realize when he was called to go out and he obeyed by faith, he didn't know where he was going. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. Dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob. The heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations. Whose builder and maker is God. If you want to know what that city is just go to the book of Revelation. John describes it for you descending out of heaven. Verse 11, by faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age. Because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead. I want you to hear this, church. From one man and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. 
this was written some 2,000 years ago. And the writer of Hebrews is describing what God had already brought to pass through Father Abraham. That is significant for us to understand 2,000 years on the other side of this writing. And some 4,000 years on the other side of the promise being made to Abraham. Abraham obeyed in faith when he had nothing but God's word. Isaac was the son of promise. And God declared, in Isaac your seed shall be called. And the promise of a great nation came through Isaac. There is so much we could talk about today surrounding Abraham and Isaac, but we don't have time and that's not our topic today. But go to Genesis and read the scripture about Abraham from the promise beginning in chapter 12 and read through the birth of Isaac and read when God tells Abraham to take his son, his only begotten son, to a mountain I will show you and there when you get there, sacrifice that son, that only begotten son to me. And Abraham obeyed. But he didn't have to sacrifice his son, but yet he really did. And God knew that he was willing to carry through with that. Abraham obeyed by faith when he had nothing but God's word. And even when God said, sacrifice your only begotten son, he was still clinging by faith to God's word that he would make a great nation of him. And we see this in the writing when he tells the men keeping the donkeys, me and the boy are going to go worship, but we shall return. And later in Hebrews it says that Abraham was ready to sacrifice Isaac because he knew that even if God had to raise him from the dead, he would because God would keep his word to make him a great nation. That's faith, church. And that faith comes by God's grace. But that grace came to Abraham because Abraham trusted, he believed, and he obeyed. Even when it looked impossible. Isaac became the vessel God chose to use to bring forth the seed of promise. Just like Jacob was. Just like Judah was that was that choice by God was God's grace as an adult we look at the life of Isaac and we see Isaac was a failure in many ways but God is graceful and God is faithful we too are failures God uses failures he has always used fail people for his glorious plan and purpose and when you look at human history and when you look in particular at the history of God's people, you see as a rule, God using failed, weak, fragile people. All the glory belongs to the Lord. In an old creation, God produces a new creation. From nothing, God produces a great nation. From failure, God brings forth great Blessing from death, God brings resurrection life. 
This pattern of failure and blessing, of death and resurrection is repeated throughout the scripture. It's repeated throughout creation and throughout the history of God's creation. This is why we are never without hope. We are to be ever hopeful and ever hope-filled people because we are God's people. We are the sons and the daughters, the seed of Abraham in Christ Jesus. It is true that God blessed those who blessed Abraham and he cursed those who cursed Abraham. But this promise of blessing and curse goes far beyond Abraham. It goes to Christ himself and it goes to the church of Christ, the people of God, those who belong to Christ. The promised blessing to Abraham is in Christ and it is to the promised seed of Christ and all those who are his. The real blessing and the real curse is determined by what men do with Christ. The acceptance of Jesus Christ and his gospel results in great blessing. The rejection of Christ and his gospel results in a great curse. We can look at a world map and trace the acceptance of the gospel and the corresponding blessing those nations have historically known. We're living in one right now. When we trace the nations that have historically rejected the gospel, we see the corresponding curse that has come upon those nations. And we can see currently, presently, the curse that is coming upon nations who once embraced Christ who have now rejected Him. God keeps His promises. You can read the promise of Deuteronomy 28 promise of blessing and the promise of curse and it still works it's still in effect today thus in abraham through jesus christ all the families of the earth shall be blessed now we're talking about abraham who is in glory we're talking about something that happened thousands of years ago we're celebrating advent the season of Christ's coming, and we remember the birth of Jesus that happened some 2,000 years ago. And we put up our Christmas trees, and we hang our Christmas lights, and we have our Christmas parades, and we have our Christmas celebrations, but do we really understand what the significance of this season is? Do we really understand the significance of Christ's coming? That it's not just a historical event that we look back to, But it is an eternal event that is still bringing great blessing to the earth and to the seed of Abraham, to God's people today. There is much more blessing to come. I want you to know this, church. In the season of Advent and celebrating the coming of Jesus, we are looking back to His birth. And all the while, we're looking forward to His coming in glory and in power And in that future day of his coming, Christ will finally put underfoot death. And then he will gloriously rule and reign on the earth for eternity. And we will rule with him. And we are very guilty of very often looking past and thinking about a past historical event. And then looking future and thinking about a future event that's not yet happened. But we're not living in the past and we're not living in the future. We're living in the present. And the question is, what does this past and what does this future speak of and mean for me today in the present? And I'm going to tell you, church, it means something for us. What Christ did, his coming and his future coming, 
What he will do one day, it has meaning for us today. And we're not just spectators here on the sidelines waiting to see what God's going to do next. No, we're not spectators. We are, we are players. We're on the field. We're running the plays that God has already written, that God has already ordained. We're living lives that God wrote for us before the foundations of the world. You don't believe that? We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which he prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. I'm sorry, I can't answer right now. Please, department. When did he prepare those works? Before the foundation of the world. And here we are now. Do what? To walk in those works. Now, this is our time of visitation on the earth. This is our time to walk out by faith our lives just like Abraham walked out his life by faith. This is our time to take hold of the promises of God and not try to figure out whether they're going to happen tomorrow or next week or next year or in my lifetime. It's time for us to take hold of the promises of God and to walk in them faithfully every day and leave the fulfillment up to God and know that if God has promised, He will fulfill it. And it doesn't matter if it happens in my lifetime or not. You do realize that when Abraham died he didn't have a multitude of a nation that were descendants of him. He had some children and some grandchildren. He lived in tents with Isaac and Jacob. We don't even know how many of his great-grandchildren he knew or he saw. But he certainly didn't see the multitude that would come from him that God promised and Abraham never thought that God did not keep his word. Abraham understood that God would keep his word even though he did not see it in his life because he saw it by faith. And this is the same way we are to see God's promises, by faith. We don't put a timetable on God's promises. We don't put a timetable on God's word and the things that God has shown us we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk in the light that God gives us. The psalm says, Psalm 119, your word is a lamp unto my feet. Now we're used to having high-powered uh, LED flashlights that 1,100 lumens shines 800 yards. That's great. But the psalm didn't say you had that kind of light. The psalm said you had a lamp. We had little lamps on our floats last on our Christmas float last night. You know how much light a lamp gives you to your feet? It's not measured in yards, not even single digit yards. It's measured in steps, like one step. I can see my next step. I can see my next step. Well, what about the steps I can't see? You just keep walking by faith. You keep walking in the light that God gives you. Keep walking in the light of his word and God knows how to get you where he has destined you to be. And this is what God did through Abraham and this is what Abraham knew and it's why God counted it to him as righteousness because he trusted God. 
God has purpose for that blessing, that blessing promised through Abraham to all the families of the earth. God has purpose for that blessing to come through the faithful obedience of his church in obedience to Christ. We are to go and to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all things that Christ has commanded us. We are to do this knowing that Christ is with us even until he comes again in power and in glory. In Abraham, the families of the earth are still being blessed. There is much more blessing to come because there are many more disciples to be made. There are many more children to be born, and that means many more to be born again. That means there are many more who will be blessed to be counted as children of Abraham, children of the promise through faith in Jesus Christ. You and I, we all have a part to play in that because we have been commanded to go in the authority given to us in the name of Jesus and disciple the nations. Abraham left his country. He left his family. He left his father's house, foreshadowing the journey that Jesus would one day make. Jesus left his heavenly country, his heavenly family, his heavenly father's house. Abraham left all the familiar expectation of his home to go far away to an unfamiliar land. Christ left all the familiar glory of heaven to descend far into the unfamiliar sin and darkness of this world. Abraham foreshadowed the beginning of a new creation and the birth of a new humanity. Childless Abraham responded in faithful obedience with only a call and only a promise from God. And he did so to become Abraham, which means the father of a multitude. We are to know that we are part of this promised multitude. You do realize that. You are part of the promise God made to Abraham. That multitude without number, as the stars and as the sand, we are part of that, but we're just a part of it. That number is still growing. That multitude is still growing. And we don't know how long it will grow. We don't know how far into the future it will grow, but it's growing because we are here right now. And the scripture wisely teaches us not to think about what we will do next year or tomorrow. Not that we shouldn't be wise in planning things, but we should always understand that there is no guarantee for next year and there is no guarantee for tomorrow. But what I have today is what God has put before me. And the question is, will we walk by faith and in obedience to God in our present in our day, in today. We are part of that promised multitude that's still growing. And what could only be foreshadowed in Abraham and others 
is now fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And in Christ is the fulfilled reality of a new creation and the multitude of a new humanity. It is this fulfilled reality in Christ that we celebrate in the Advent season. And when we have so much in the world and of the world that is trying to distract us and discourage us and make us believe that doom and gloom and despair is, is, is the only thing that we have to look forward to, we are called to go back to the Word. To the Word we go. And the Word reveals to us that our future is bright, that the promise is true, and it doesn't matter how impossible the promise may seem, God has declared it, and that settles it. It doesn't even matter whether I believe it or not. You know, you've seen that bumper sticker, God said it and I believe it, that settles it. No, it doesn't really, it doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. The fact that God said it, that settles it. That's it. And we of all people have a hope. And we of all people should be filled with that hope because of what Christ has already done, because of what God has already promised. In Christ, we are to celebrate with thankfulness the reality of a new creation and a new man each day, not just in this season of the year. It is this eternal reality in Christ we celebrate each week on the Lord's day when we come to the Lord's table, to this table of thanksgiving. This is what we're celebrating what Christ has already done, what he has already secured for us as his children. And we come to this table to give him thanks and to proclaim Jesus Christ in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection until he comes again and throughout all eternity. Merry Christmas. As we prepare to come to the Lord's table, may we remember His coming has ushered in a new creation, a new man, and that in Christ we become partakers of both, both a new creation and a new humanity. You really are a new creation, a new man in Christ. And that we are blessed with Father Abraham in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Christian, welcome to his table. And so welcome to Jesus. Here is your charge. Jesus is king. He has come and he will one day come again. He came as the word made flesh that dwelt among us. And his glory was beheld as of the only begotten of the Father. He was first seen in his incarnation as a baby held in mother's arms. The king of glory bailed humbly in human flesh. He will one day come again and tabernacle with us e eternally in a new heaven and a new earth. And he will behold and we will behold him in that day in all of his unveiled glory as the victorious Lord of lords and King of kings. Truly in that day, we will see him and we will know him face to face as the King of glory. In this season of Advent, let us praise God for his coming, past and future, 
But not only in the season, but in every day, Christ has come, and by his grace we are his people. Therefore, let our celebration of him and his coming be glorious, for Jesus is Lord and King of all. Amen? Amen. Amen.